This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Hi, y'all, and welcome to Horsin' Around. Saddle up and get ready to have a darn tootin', gallopin' good time as we trot out the show that's your ultimate horse source, of course. Find out how to use good old horse sense when it comes to breeding, feeding, training, and explaining. From practical tips on caring for your horse's health to advice on how to buy horse supplies, including bridles, halters, saddles, and more. So get ready to start horsing around with your host, horse expert and award-winning rider, Audrey Pavia. Howdy, Audrey. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Horsing Around on PetLifeRadio.com. Thanks for joining us. This week, we're going to talk about something that just about every horse owner worries about, colic. Colic is one of the most common health problems in domestic horses and can be life-threatening. Its causes are many and its symptoms are distressing, but the good news is you can do a lot to help prevent colic in your horse. Over the next half hour, we're going to talk to Dr. Anthony Blixlogger, a professor of equine surgery and gastroenterology at North Carolina State University College of Veterinary Medicine in Raleigh, and we'll be right back with Dr. Blixlogger after these messages. Why the long face? I reckon horsing around will be back in the saddle right after we round up a few words from our sponsor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's designerpetsweaters.com. Hand-knitted designer sweaters for your precious pup or cool cat. Beautiful couture patterns for your pets, including custom-knitted formal wear, casual wear, yachting, and even sports-themed. Many designer pet sweaters include feathered tammy hats, top hats, and a lot of sparkle. Each sweater includes leg loops, front paw sleeves, and leash opening. Visit designerpetsweaters.com to order your four-legged fashions today. Your pets will stay warm for the winter and be runway ready. Large or small, we fit them all. Designerpetsweaters.com Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com We know you're chomping at the bit to hear more horsing around. Well, we're back on the trail. So park yourself over yonder and set a spell. You ain't heard nothing yet. Hi, welcome back to Horsing Around. I'm your host, Audrey Pavia, and today we're taking a close look at colic. My guest is Dr. Anthony Blixlogger, Professor of Equine Surgery and Gastroenterology at North Carolina State University College of Veterinary Medicine. Welcome to the show, Dr. Blixlogger. Thank you. First off, let's define colic. I mean, people always say, oh, my horse colic. What does that mean exactly? It means they uh, hurt someplace, uh, most commonly uh, the, somewhere around the abdomen area or belly area, and... Uh, it's called colic because they can't really tell us where it hurts. So they show a series of clinical signs that kind of tell us it's somewhere in the belly region. So colic is not an illness per se. It's really a set of symptoms. It's a, it, it is. It's a set of clinical signs of pain somewhere in the horse, uh, most likely in the uh, abdominal region. It's very similar to pain in uh, people, in human infants. So before a child can tell us where it hurts, uh, and as they get older, they just exhibit signs of colic. And although their clinical signs are different, so they they tend to get very upset and uh, cry and things like that, horses have their own 
unique set of clinical signs that are similar because they can't tell us where it hurts. So let's go over some of the symptoms of colic. How does a horse owner know if their horse is colicking? They know that it's beginning because of changes in their behavior. So owners get very used to what their horses normally do in terms of the handled, when they eat and what they like to eat. And uh, uh, any changes in those can be subtle signs of early colic. Simply, uh, I suppose, a horse that just won't eat properly and just kind of looks miserable standing in the stall. And then it progresses from there so that they'll show uh, signs of pain, such as pawing the stall or pawing the ground, rather, Um, looking around at their abdomen as if to say, well, I think it hurts on this side, although they don't actually know that. And then it progresses to stretching out to try to relieve the pressure that they feel inside. And then it starts to get more toward lying down and rolling. Is this a progression that you would see in, in the symptoms? It is. The progression varies by the severity of the problem so some horses progress very very quickly they'll they won't look quite right or they won't eat properly or they'll be standing the back of the stall and then suddenly go down as if they have a more of a violent spasm but there are uh, most horses that gradually show these different clinical signs Uh, as time goes on, so that it may take them uh, a number of hours before they feel the need to lie down and actually roll. On the other hand, it could happen pretty quickly. They could get to that stage, right? They can can get uh, very rapid. So there are horses that have severe intestinal twists that will presumably have such big spasms inside as the intestine twists that they immediately feel the need to go down to take the pressure off and then mm-hmm. roll. And when they mm-hmm. and those particular horses will roll very uh, violently, so uh, meaning that they don't have much regard for who's around them uh, or even for their own well-being. They'll hit their heads uh, if they're in a stall on the side of the stall or whatever's around them. Now, I know some people, um, they'll see a horse roll and they'll be, uh-oh, is he colicking? How can you tell the difference between a, a roll just for the sake of a roll and a colic roll? It's a, a lot to do with getting used to how the horse ordinarily behaves. So for uh, owners that have had a horse for some time, they'll realize that when they take a blanket off the horse or when they let them into a pasture, uh, the, the, the horse might run out and then gradually pick a place to go down. And then as it, as, as it crouches down uh, and gets uh, all the way over onto its side, then they'll roll up onto their backs as if to scratch themselves. And they will ordinarily do that one or two times. They'll roll up onto their back and scratch themselves and then roll back down. And then many horses like to look around and see what's in in their environment, check things out, and then just carefully get back up. The difference then would be a horse that either let out into the pasture or one that might just be in the um, stall and 
they'll go down for no apparent reason. They just suddenly feel the need to go down, and, and it may, ver- may commonly be preceded by circling around the stall as if they're not quite comfortable as to where to go down. Uh, and the same thing will go for out in the pasture. And then when they roll, they're not quite sure how many times they want to roll. And so they roll up onto their backs, and that may not alleviate the pain, or most commonly won't. So then they'll do it again, and then they may go all the way over onto the other side. And that particular thing will be less common for a horse that just wants to scratch its back. Mm-hmm. So there are subtle changes like that, at least in the early stages of colic, that owners can pick up on. So it might look like normal rolling, but then when you watch closely, it's not what they usually do. Mm-hmm. Or if you're not used to the horse or the pain's more severe, you can tell they keep doing it. And it's a, more, it's a bit more haphazard. Now, I had a horse, uh, one of my horses colicked fairly recently, and um, I knew that he was colicking because he was down in his stall. And um, when I approached him, I noticed that he was drenched with sweat and his, was breathing very hard. Is that typical as well? Yeah, that is. When they feel painful, they can sweat like that, and they the sweating can be patchy, so it might just be over um, over the withers at first, and then it, and then it can progress to a whole body sweat. Um, they can tremor sometimes as a sort of an expression of pain and different things like that. So every horse would show it in different ways. Oh, and then you mentioned um, breathing rapidly, and Mm -hmm. that would be one of the early clinical signs um, that I didn't mention um, that that can also indicate colic. So Mm -hmm. uh, all those things just don't look quite right. You have to sort of take it into context of what the horse has just done and whether it's appropriate or not. So if the horse has no apparent need to sweat or to breathe rapidly like that, then the most common cause of that will be colic. In a situation like that, would you want to take a temperature or would that not be helpful? You know, one of the most useful things to do, once you have an inkling that a horse has colic, either because it's sweating, breathing hard, or because it's rolling or pacing or looking around at its flanks, if you can get used to um, taking a pulse or a heart rate, then that's the most useful, and it's exactly what the veterinarian is going to do. And so Mm -hmm. owners can learn how to do that. They can either learn where to take a pulse, and there's a good place right uh, under the angle of the jaw that they can feel a good-sized artery. Or you can feel them um, down by the feet, just on the paston or on the fetlock area. Um, The other way to do that is to buy a relatively inexpensive stethoscope and get used to listening to the chest. Uh, You can always ask uh, the veterinarian, well, where would I want to do this? That will be the most important thing to confirm that the horse is painful because it's the most consistent sign and uh, uh, it'll, it'll become uh, elevated in a graded way so that if they're mildly painful, it'll be a little bit elevated and it'll keep going up according to the level of pain. You can look at the gum color and uh, make sure that looks normal light pink and um, you can press on the gums and see if the blood flow returns 
rapidly, which is what it should do. Some horses with early signs of pain will have pale gums, just as you can imagine we would look kind of pale if we were really painful. And um, mm-hmm. so that will be another thing that they can do. I wanted to ask you regarding the respiration. Um, apparently, in order to know if your horse's respiration or heart rate is uh, abnormally high, you need to take it when the horse is calm and at rest so that you have something, a baseline to compare it to. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. So every horse has their own resting uh, breathing rate and then horses across the board have a normal range for their heart rate. So the the normal rate of breathing for horses is uh, around 12 to 16 and then some horses breathe a little bit more rapidly in that, than that. So it would be a good idea to take your horse's uh, respiratory rate um, at, at different times of the day too. So when they come in during the morning or after you've ridden them, different scenarios like that, just so you know what their range is. Mm-hmm. For the heart rate, it's really a little bit more exact. So it will be a rate of between 36 and um, 48, and that's beats per minute. And I should have mentioned that's a respiratory rate. It will be number of breaths per minute. Okay, and is it the same for foals, or are we talking about adult horses? We're talking about adult horses. So foals are more rapid, and it depends how what their age is. So young foals have quite a bit more rapid um, breathing rate and then quite a bit more rapid heart rate, and then it rapidly comes down over a number of days. And so they're always a lot harder to gauge as to where they are in terms of colic. It's, you know, you suspect they have colic and then you take their rates and then you have to try to put that into the context of their age. Or do they exhibit the same symptoms as adult horses? Well, no, they all, um, they'll do just about exactly the same things that I'm thinking about it. So they'll look around at their flanks and they'll paw and they'll sweat um, and then uh, they'll go down and they'll roll. The reason I hesitated is because they tend to get into sort of buckling their knees and going down and rolling much more readily mm-hmm. than do adult horses. So they get into that phase quite a bit earlier than, than um, older horses. Okay. And, you know, there's one thing I wanted to – It's it, I've noticed um, a lot of horse owners think that if they suspect their horse is colicking and they offer them a carrot and the horse eats it, that the horse is not colicking. And my understanding is that that's not true. It isn't true, um, not completely anyway. So certainly a horse with severe colic is not going to want to eat anything. And so I suppose mm-hmm. you could say, well, then that would rule that out. But for all but the most severe cases, they'll tend to have this uh, preference for different kinds of things to eat until they get really painful. And carrots would be something that they might just try carrot until they get very painful. I guess the thing that they'll give up on, though, the very last will be um, grass. The -hmm. thing that they're designed to eat, I suppose, is the thing they'll give up on last. And then behind that will be hay. Um, Perhaps the first thing they'll give up on, surprisingly, is um, sweet food. 
They just hmm. and then so when I mentioned earlier that owners will notice that they don't want to eat, it's most commonly that they won't eat the meal they've been given, but they might still be picking at hay or grass, depending upon what they're offered. Uh-huh. So they're they get more and more finicky, and it's that grain they they give up on pretty early on. That's interesting, since they seem to like that a lot. But they do. I mean, they. I you know, it's always hard to know whether they truly like the taste of sweet feed because we always think of things that taste sweet as being something that you would really want. Uh-huh. You know, it's almost like looking forward to dessert, I suppose. But for a horse, they're not designed to take in that much uh, in the way of sugars. And um, right. for straight-up sweet feed, it's going to have molasses and things like that in there. Uh-huh. And I think they like that. But I, uh, I think if you offer them different things, they will tend to go toward the the one thing that they're really meant to eat um so forage and forage would in, would include uh hay and grass i don't okay. know what it is i mean they're sort of almost pre-programmed i guess genetically so then right um, favor that then, yeah yeah exactly okay well we're going to take a break and when we come back we're going to talk about the causes of colic so we'll be right back why the long face <laughs> I reckon horsing around will be back in the saddle right after we round up a few words from our sponsor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Molly, here's your dinner. <coughs> Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your cat tree tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We know you're chomping at the bit to hear more horsing around. Well, we're back on the trail. So park yourself over yonder and set a spell. You ain't heard nothing yet. Welcome back to Horsing Around. I'm your host, Audrey Pavia, and today we're taking a close look at colic. My guest is Dr. Anthony Blixlager, Professor of Equine Surgery and Gastroenterology at North Carolina State University College of Veterinary Medicine. So, Dr. Blixlager, tell me the various causes of colic. I know there's everything from gas to stones to there's a lot of different stuff. Yeah, there sure is, and it's uh, frequently difficult to figure out which cause your horse has unless you have the unfortunate experience of having to go all the way to surgery. But generally, they're clumped into things that obstruct the intestine and then uh, things that both block the intestine and block the blood supply. And those two things, for the, for the first case, that will be called simple obstruction. Simple meaning may not be that simple for the horse or even the owner or vet to figure out what it is, but simple means it just blocks 
the opening of the gut. And then strangulating obstruction, it blocks both the opening and the blood supply. And, and so that will be the more severe one. So for simple obstruction, there can be uh, a lot of different things. You mentioned stones, and that's a common cause of simple obstruction in some parts of the country, uh, particularly the West Coast. The other really common cause all across the country would be impactions. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a, an impaction is just a feed blockage uh, of the of the gut, and um, then nothing can get by it, and they get gas distended. Um, strangulating obstruction, common things would be uh, for the large intestine where most of, most of the gas is. It, twists or begins to twist all the way around. There are some other peculiar causes of that that um, uh, can can be very difficult to figure out before we go to surgery. If you categorize them that way, then the the one big group that we miss out would be, I suppose, what people would really just cause a, call a simple bellyache. You know, uh, a lot of horses don't really have anything absolutely obstructing them, um, but they but they ache nonetheless. There can be some gas accumulation that pockets somewhere, and then it will move along given time. Um, there can be spasm of the intestine. Some classic causes of that will be intestinal parasites, but there are um, uh, certainly far more horses that spasm than have parasites. So that whole group um, of problems can be very difficult to figure out. So you end up going through the simple and strangulating obstruction. Those are a little bit more the ones that are going to tend to take a bit more medical treatment and maybe even surgery if you get unlucky. Mm -hmm. Then the, the medical causes of colic like just plain gas or spasm or something like that, they're very difficult to figure out. So how do veterinarians typically diagnose it? I would assume you start with, you know, the least serious, looking for the least serious cause and work your way up. Yeah, you always do uh, do that. But, and there is a way of doing that. So I don't want to put that, a question, that question aside, but... Actually, what veterinarians do is they try to figure out whether the horse can be medically treated on the farm or whether it needs more advanced care than you could than you could hope to provide on the farm, which might mean that you send them to a hospital. That decision there, and that's a that's a different decision than trying to diagnose precisely what the problem is. So if you were to go to an emergency room, the very first person you bump into well, after you've checked in, receptionist and so on, would be somebody called a triage nurse. And so triage just means sorting out which patients need to be cared for first and which ones can wait. And for veterinarians, they're trying to figure out which course horse can they treat medically and which ones they, do they need to send off for more advanced care. Mm-hmm. And that whole decision can be done entirely independent of making a definitive diagnosis. So to be perfectly honest, we don't know 
uh, in many instances, exactly what the cause of colic is. We we try to narrow it down. Um, We try to figure out whether the horse has gas or whether there are too many gut sounds when you listen to them. So that will be a horse that has some spasm, um, something like that. But um, we don't often know in the early stages. But what we do emphatically know is, is this horse going to be one that I would want to just treat medically here on the farm, which would be the vast majority, or do I need to do something more substantial than that? Tell me, why does walking the horse seem to help with the pain? Uh, nobody really knows. I suppose it's like one of these, uh, and nobody's proven that it helps. But I, I think it's one of these mysteries of dealing with horses. Um, some people would argue it's not so much helping the horses as helping the owner because then they, they get enrolled in the care of the, of the horse. But uh, for the horse, they certainly seem more comfortable when you're doing that. And mm-hmm. certainly for horses that actively want to go down and roll and maybe even hurt themselves, it seems to take their minds off it. So if you put them into some light activity like that, just as in walking around um, a small area, they don't seem to think about it as much. Then apart from that, there is the thought that perhaps by walking and uh, as they're moving along, it's simulating what they're supposed to do out in the field and that that moving along and uh, uh, grazing activity that that, that horses do naturally, especially uh, out in the wild, somehow is tied into... Um, movement of of grass and and hay and so on down the gastrointestinal tract. Mm-hmm. So that that last part is sort of yet to be proven, but but, but it's certainly possible. There's a strong connection between the brain and the gut, and mm-hmm. it's hard to know just how um, complex and well coordinated that is. So. Right. Well, right. see if we can figure that out. Yeah. Well, tell me what horse owners can do to prevent colic in their horses. The simplest thing to do is to try to picture their natural environment, or in other words, what is a horse supposed to be doing. So they're really designed, or maybe designed is not a good word, but they've really evolved over thousands of years to um, graze most of the day, uh, you know, 16 to 18 hours or so over the day. And uh, that's when I tell owners that, because they always ask that same question, particularly after a colic surgery, you know, how do I prevent it in the future? Or what do I do with my horses? They think uh, maybe that that's a little bit of an unusual idea because these days we're so used to having horses in stalls and, we, and we're used to showing them and these sorts of things. But what it really means is that if you can begin to try to return them to that sort of environment, they'll tend to colic less. And so you do the best you can given the facilities you, you have. So 
if you can turn them out more because you have the posture space, then great. If you can um, change the way they're fed so that you're trying to give them mostly forage, as in uh, grass and hay, then that's great too. And then you try to minimize what they wouldn't ordinarily get or naturally get, I suppose, which would be um, grain. So a lot of people tend to think of feeding horses a little bit like feeding ourselves, meaning they're to feed them meals, but they're not really designed to eat meals. We do that to keep them in good condition and keep weight on them, um, and also because horses learn to expect that. But it's always worth remembering that they're not uh, originally adapted to do that. And then really simplistically, I guess, if you think about wild horses and what are they doing, um, you can even picture horses out on the plains uh, uh, going around in herds, grazing for most of the day. And mm-hmm. that's the sort of thing to try to return them to in a, in a very sensible way. You know, I don't want to get too sort of natural-based about that because I don't want to make it sound unusual. It's, a, it's supposed to be what they're adapted to do. Okay. Well, that's great. That's all the time we have for today. Uh, I just want to add that to anyone out there listening, if you think your horse is colicking, call a veterinarian right away. Don't, don't wait because the longer you wait, the worse it can get. And the sooner the horse gets care, um, the more likely that he'll be okay. So thank you, Dr. Blixlager, for being my guest this week and letting us it's know my how we pleasure. can. Yeah, it was great having you. And um, if you have any, anyone out there has any questions or comments about horsing around, please email me at audrey at petliferadio.com. Until next time, happy trails. Stop what you're doing and start horsing around every week on Pet Life Radio. Horse expert and award-winning rider Audrey Pavia will be trotting out great tips on feeding, breeding, and more on everything equestrian. So set a spell and say hey to Audrey and get ready for a darn tootin' gallopin' good time every week on Horsin' Around, on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.